Podcast presented by CelticsLife.com. My name is Ben Vallis. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Also on the pod tonight, our Newcastle correspondent, Jackson, aka Rickman Lives. Jackson, how's it going, man? I'm good. I'm good. Much better than last week. Last time we spoke. Mm. It's funny how things change in, in a short amount of time, but I'm very well. Thank you. Hope you guys are good too. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Amazing what a week will do in uh, in Celtics world. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Larbird33. Welcome back, sir. How's things? It's good. Uh, you know, Kemba's back. Kemba's Kemba. He's looking good. Things are looking up. He is quite back. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so look, so much to get to tonight. The vibes are good. The Celtics winning three in a row. We're going to talk about the Clippers game in a moment. Plus, the Jays are in the All-Star three-point competition. And of course, we'll get to the Reddit recap. But first. The Celtics sink the Clippers, 117 to 112, thanks to Campbell Walker's 25 points, six assists, and a pretty nice showing from our bench. Reddit user Nafira pointed out, we're undefeated since Brad Stevens had his identity stolen, which is great. <laughs> Thank you, Brad, for the sacrifice. Jackson, let's start broad here. What, what were the keys here? How did the Celtics pull out this win? Um, I really want to give it to like one player in particular, like would be that Kemba or be that Time Lord, because I thought both of the of their impacts um were, were huge, particularly in certain moments. I mean Kemba throughout for sure. Jason um uh Jalen Brown I thought was fantastic in the first quarter as well and Time Lord like I think his impact in the fourth was uh spectacular as well. But I don't know, we just seem to get up when we're playing the Clippers. You know, every time we've played them, you know, going back to the OT game, um in LA last year and then the double OT game and then the game earlier this season, um, we just seem to be locked in. And it's almost like we have this mentality where if we're playing teams that we feel like are below us, we, we take the foot off the pedal, you know, see the Hawks, see the Pistons, see the Pelicans, um, play any team that isn't around, you know, what we would deem to be a contender or around our level, uh, give or take a couple of examples. We seem to actually play rather well. So I just wonder if it is, you know, really a mentality thing that's sort of playing this team th- throughout the regular season thus far. But like, again, we're getting a little bit too broad here. As far as like, you know, who was responsible for, for the Celtics win, you know, I think it was just a genuinely a really good team effort. A great showing from Kemba, as, as I alluded to. But, you know, it's just, it's just nice to see, you know, no one in particular, you know, sucking. I mean, Tatum was probably well below his best and a little bit disappointing, but I thought he still came through uh, in the fourth when we needed him and when we were deferring to him for the most part. So um, I think it's just an overall good team effort against a very strong team, you know, albeit without, you know, a, a two-time finals MVP in Kawhi Leonard. But I mean, that's still a very good team. So no, I'm super encouraged from what I'm seeing here from the team all, all around. I agree with Jackson. The I think there's probably something to the whole mentality thing. I think when you're at that age, if you're, you know, early 20s, before age 22 and you make it to the conference finals twice in your first like three seasons, it's probably hard to get really excited about regular season games against someone like you know, Atlanta, but obviously the Clippers are one of the better teams in the league and they showed up tonight. I do think, uh, I also agree that this is a good uh, example of a game where we, uh, had a nine man rotation. You know, we've been talking about that a bit in recent podcasts where, um, this wasn't an example of showcase season, right? I mean, we pretty much played our nine best players that were available. Um, you know, off the bench, we had time Lord and Pritchard who were both playing great. 
And then we had you know Ojale and, and T just because of I guess necessity. Um, but none of the young guys really, none of the really young guys are inexperienced. So we put out like our most veteran lineup, and it seemed to have paid off. And Kemba played at a super high level and got the win against a, I guess a slightly depleted Clippers team, <laughs> missing their best player. But three in a row, it's, it's encouraging for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And look, like you touched on there, LaBert, it was announced right before the game that Kawhi Leonard would not start. It turned out to be because of back spasms and ended up not playing the game at all, obviously. Uh, in terms of keys to the game, not going to lie, huge contributing factor that their best player, one of the best players in the league, uh, wasn't playing in the game. Um, but other contributing factors, Kemba Walker, like he, he might actually be back. And yeah, shout out to Joe, our New Zealand correspondent. He's not on the podcast today. I did sort of like semi beg him to come on just to sort of help <laughs> like provide some gravity and like bring us down to earth on our Kemba takes because, you know, it's been a wild back and forth of Kemba takes, not just, you know, amongst ourselves, but but Celtics fans as well, as he has kind of toed and froed in and out of form so far this season and late last season. Um, but now putting together a really consistent uh, stretch here. Um can I can I throw a couple of Kemba sequences at you guys from the last two games? Because it's not just his stats at the end of the game. It's actually his impact, uh, particularly coming off the bench in the second half of games. So versus the Wizards on Sunday, Kemba, he checks in with 8.47 remaining in the fourth quarter. The score is 87-81. Wizards up by six. Kemba assists on a Tice layup. Kemba assists on a Tice mid-ranger out of a pick and pop. Kemba to Tice again. Same play. Kemba to Tice again. That's three assists in like 80 seconds. Tatum three, and then Kemba steal, Kemba layup, 91-87 Celtics. Just like that. Huge turnaround. Kemba checks in, changes the game. We win that game. Uh, I did have another sequence here. Yeah, versus the Clippers today. Kemba checks in with four minutes remaining in the third. Fast forward one minute, the score is 76-78. Clips up by two. Kemba pull up three. We give up a three on the other end. Then bam, another Kemba pull up three. Celtics get a stop. Kemba gets to the line, hits both his free throws. Celtics give up another three. Kemba assists on a Pritchard three, 87-84 Celtics. So in the last two games, it's two instances in, in late or late-ish games where Kemba checks in and like he's not necessarily just like splashing deep threes, but he's, he's having this overall, this well-rounded impact on the game. And, you know, after these games, people will tend to post like in sort of an aggregate of Kemba stats. Oh, Kemba in the last five games, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like clearly he's back. But there's an actual measurable impact in looking at through these game logs after the games and seeing when he checks in and and turns it from a 50-50 win probability to, you know, something that tips in the favor of the Celtics. So uh, I'm really stoked to see him back. I, I don't know. Any other thoughts on Kemba Walker, guys? I'll, I'll add in a, a sequence. I wouldn't be able to um, give you a, as accurate timestamps as you just did there. Uh, ben, Sorry, going I back, it out today. <laughs> no, no, that's a, going back to the the Hawks game, not the one where we were abysmal, but the one prior to that where we were up like a million points and then all of a sudden we blinked and it was, we were only up like eight or so. Um, Kemba coming off the bench in the fourth um, also had some big buckets and basically just arrested that run that the Atlanta was was on and seemingly was like you know eating into our lead and you just had this like sick feeling in your stomach because it has been consistent with us this season where we've just been dog shit in the fourth quarter or we've been terrible front runners um Kemba more or less arrested that and I think that was the moment where I started to when Kemba comes in I was no longer 
you know, hesitant or worried about his production. You think, okay, here comes a guy who can distribute, who can be crafty, can get to the rim, who can hit shots. And, you know, it's just another body to, to, to that um, the defenses have to be wary of. You know, it's not all about doubling Tatum anymore or, or, or putting another man on, on Jalen Brown. There's now three guys who can get buckets and are, are going to be big contributors. So um, I think Kemba's been, you know... it. His lack of production or like the, the rustiness that he's come off uh, in the last, you know, this season essentially um, has been really highlighted. But the fact that he's now getting back to, as as um, as, as Larbird uh, has said, he's getting back to Kemba, being back to who he, who he is. And he more or less always has been that. But it feels like, you know, the statistics and the eye test are really starting to, to, to marry up here. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm stoked. You know, I think every Celtics fan should be stoked. Anyone who's slandered him uh, should really just be happy that they have to, you know, uh, you know, renounce the position or they have to walk it back a little bit because, you know, we're getting good production out of him and it's, yeah, <laughs> Joe included, if that's, if that's, that's what I wasn't alluding to him in particular. But um, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for Kemba and I'm, uh, I think indeed he is back if he ever was gone. It's crazy how quickly that stuff changes because it was like two games ago that I was getting in a conversation with someone about Kemba Walker's trade value and, and I got downvoted for disagreeing that we would have to include two first round picks to salary dump him. And now it's just like a few games later, he's back. I mean, as far as I don't really know if there's, you know, I don't really know if last season's Kemba was anything uh, better than this Kemba. He's uh last nine games he's averaging twenty two point seven points, forty three point five percent shooting, forty two point two percent from three. That's better than he was last season. So I mean, yeah, obviously he, his first ten games were rough. He was on a minute restriction. Um, he obviously was getting back in a groove with no practice. He's back now. I mean, this is this is who Kemba is. He's a fringe star or low level all star. And you mentioned um, that you know he's not out there necessarily splashing threes, but. It's notable that at least if you're looking at his averages over these 20 games, he's he's leading the team in three-pointers per game, actually. He's averaging three per game. So he is actually making a huge impact there. But then at the, the other thing with the eye test is he's attacking the basket, and he wasn't really doing that earlier um, when he came back. So you're seeing him actually get to the, get to the hoop um, like he normally was. So yeah, he's back at this point. This is who Kemba is. Yeah, and his percentages and success rate in, in attacking the basket is actually up as well. I mean, he, he did seem to have that, you know, that bounce that was sort of we got a little overly hyped about early in his return that like the speed and the and the bounce and everything was there, but it wasn't translating to points scored at the rim. And now now it is, like especially especially in the last three or four games, he's actually finishing on those attacks, which is the, the the primary difference there, and and that's having uh, sort of an extended impact on the opponent defense, and it's opening up assist opportunities and kick out opportunities for Kemba as well. And you know, it's no coincidence that suddenly we're feeling a little more at ease uh, in terms of our, our team's ball movement and just the sort of um, uh, dynamicness is that a word for lack of a better word uh, of the offense like everything's sort of humming a little smoother and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, with Campbell Walker like finally being able to to finish a lot of those attempts it's not about getting to those spots and firing off those shots it's actually that he's converting on them now which is a, a huge and kind of a relieving difference let's be honest because like fuck <laughs> it didn't look like that was maybe going to be, be the case and you know, there's a lot of talk about salary dump and get off his contract and, you know, that he, he and I think I said this myself, like he's, he, he's not a good fit as a third option with the Jays and, and perhaps with this rounding back into form, 
and him settling into that third option role. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that we can synchronize on improving on those two facets of his game and, and maybe there's something there. Maybe I'm just overreacting to a couple of good camera games. I don't know, but it, it feels damn good. Also, keys to this game, Time Lord. We haven't talked about Robert Williams yet, who was incredible, had some insanely clutch rebounds, which I just find so fascinating. It's like his rebounding technique isn't necessarily sound. Like he's not, he's not Tristan Thompson fundamentally sound on his rebounds. He's not boxing out. He just jumps higher than every everyone else on the court. It's insane. And uh, he had some huge impacts. Firstly, off the bench early, he did struggle to keep Zubak off the boards, but he made up for it on the offensive end. And the biggest difference to me seems to be, like when he comes in, suddenly our center position, it's this notable offensive threat. And and you can tell, you know, that notion kind of discombobulates the defense a little bit and just creates a little bit of extra space, particularly for the pick and roll ball handler because of that lob threat. And I don't know, we talked about Kemba making the offense hum a little better. I think Time Lord has that impact as well. Um, Larbird, thoughts on, on Time Lord's co- contributions to this win today? Been kind of slowly more and more thinking he's our best big. And I mean, the last few games have just kind of strengthened that, that uh, stance, I think. Um, you know, no disrespect to Tice or Thompson has actually been, I guess, a little bit underrated. He's, he's still making impact, but Time Lord seems to be making a much bigger impact. Um, so yeah, I mean... He's had, he's had some huge contributions the last few games and, and really all season. I mean, I think he's leading the team in plus minus or he's one of the top in the on the team. Love to see him get more minutes. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's something that I'm, I'm still keeping a, a close eye on is if we address that uh, closer to trade, trade deadline, if we if we do end up moving one of the veterans to free up more minutes for him, because it seems like that's the wise move, at least. I mean, he, he seems to be making a, a really, really solid contributions. Mm. yeah, yeah I, i've been I, i've um I, I can't remember like the first time i said this but i was just like so such a believer in robert williams and like you know admittedly there was nothing to there was there's nothing savant about it you know i all i looked at was just you know oh man the dude is enormous super long wingspan can jump he's a highlight you know machine if he's if he's put in the right scenario so i was like nah this is the guy that we need you know whether or not he sleeps in for you know training camps and misses the bosses here and there i i, don't, I couldn't give a toss um He's got the meme game down. I mean, I mean, people like ESPN are referring to him, and TNT are referring to him as Time Lord now. Like that, that that's just that's just <laughs> fantastic to see that that t- nickname has now permeated the um, the NBA um, uh, landscape. So, so that that's wonderful. But um, yeah, no, he's just um, you notice when he's in. Um, and and it's not a very elegant way to put it, but yeah, no, he just the eye test is there. You know, he's he's just such a. a, a your eye seems to go to him because he is just so tall and he's, you know, he's got the dreads and everything like that. So, you know, you are looking out for him, but then he comes up with these, you know, huge plays, um, whether it's blocking a shot or getting an alley-oop and, you know, his passing has always been pretty solid. And, you know, now that he's, now that he's getting more minutes and he's getting a chance to show off that skill skill set a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I, I think I said a long time ago, I'm a big believer in Robert Williams and I'm just, I'm so happy because I'm just, I feel like that's just being vindicated with with each each game. Um, obviously his health, I think is the biggest thing holding him him back that and he, you know, he's still a little bit eager to, to jump on block shots and can get baited into fouls and, you know, blow bys and whatnot. But um, uh, the more he plays, if he can play, and particularly I think we'll see him in the playoffs, um, I think his impact is just going to grow. Yeah, so uh, absolutely. The Reddit user 
Larry Bird's Grundle writes, this is in the post-game thread, I would huck my children out of a burning building if I knew Rob Williams was on the ground ready to oop them violently <laughs> through a cylinder. <laughs> um, nice. We love him and we trust him. Me, me too. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and just on the Time Lord nickname thing, I- I've seen some conversation around Reddit and Twitter about, like, has he outgrown the Time Lord name? Like, because... Us as fans and the sort of broader NBA community are starting to take him more seriously. And the Time Lord nickname was sort of awarded to him based on some tidiness very early in his career. A lot of people feel like it's time to move on to something a little bit more sim- simple, maybe a little bit more respectful, like Lob Williams or something like that. <laughs> Where do you guys stand on that? Well, shouts to Riffs, man. I guess he's the guy on Twitter oh, who first pr- started. Praise, praise be the Riffs, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, it's a good nickname. It's fine. <laughs> it's so it's yeah, such a weird yeah. nickname. It's such a weird one that like I don't know if it really I don't know if it really uh, connotates anything super negative. I mean, it's a it's a Doctor Who reference more than anything. Time Lords, yeah. you know. I, I feel like that's something that weirdly fans don't all know. I guess a no, lot of people don't watch Doctor right. Who in the states. Mm. I'm one of them. I guess I do. But uh, I think I had a Doctor Who reference last week too. Look at me, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, Time Lord. That, that's the alien species that Doctor Who is. He travels through space and time. So I mean, it's just, it was a weird <laughs> nickname, and you can kind of interpret it any way you want. Like you know, maybe he's like stopping time with his blocks or you know whatever. But it's fine. Lord's kind of a cool name, right? Anything Lord. So Time Lord, sure, why not? I don't think he's yeah, outgrown it. Time, I think it's good. Anything Time, anything Lord. What, what do you think, Jackson? <laughs> Yeah, it's a solid nickname. Nicknames are a funny thing. You know, you try and push them on on, on people and, and there'll almost be like a, a resistance to, to that. Like that, they'll just call you whatever they want. It reminds me of the um, the Seinfeld episode where George wants to be called T-Bone and then everyone else starts <laughs> calling the other guy T-Bone. <laughs> He's just saying, no, that's, that's what I wanted. Um, so, no, I think Time Lord's great. Unless Rob Williams actually comes out and says, look, I, I, I can't fucking stand that nickname. You guys better stop calling me that or I'm going to demand a trade to Toronto or some shit. I mean, if he, if he comes out, I know that he initially there was some pushback from from Rob Williams on the Time Lord nickname, but he seems to have embraced it now. But at any point, this applies to anybody with the nickname. Like if he comes out and says, oh, "I don't like Time Lord, don't call me Time Lord," everyone's like, "Nah, you're you're Time Lord, right?" Like that's when it really emphasizes like and the the nickname sticks. So I think he's kind of stuck with it. And then Lob Williams, I don't know if if it weren't for Robin Lopez, maybe Sideshow Lob because he's kind of got like the sprouty. <laughs> hair now it's just cool and like the you touched on the meme game earlier jackson uh someone i think it was smart water on twitter is a great follow and creates all kinds of awesome graphics there's a photo of like rob williams leaning on a delorean with like <laughs> 80s michael j fox clothing on and just had like time lord and sort of neon pink above mm. it just stuff nice. like that it, it really uh um inspires people to create like just stuff that is really cool as shit um there's a post on celtics reddit by juicy juice 100 juice who asks do pp peyton pritchard and rob have the best chemistry on the team they go on to say i feel like rob and peyton pritchard have amazing chem question mark in my opinion the best on the team i feel that peyton pritchard really takes advantage of rob's verticality and lob threat at this point it's like we are bound to get a highlight every game from peyton pritchard and rob guys agree disagree is there better chemistry on the team outside of these two it's a good connection there. Those two, for sure. Lots of uh, connections on the alley-oops. I mean, it's nice having those guys come off the bench together, I think, because we couldn't have them in uh, in summer league or anything. So it's nice to get them to see see them play together. I'd like to see them also play alongside Romeo and, and Neesmith at some point. See if they can build some chemistry. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I I couldn't give you advanced metrics or stats on, on whether or not they're they're um how good they are together. But um yeah, no, no. You always seem to notice that there's some sort of connection going on between them. And you know, given the fact that Peyton is you know only what 35 games into his Celtics career, and Rob Williams has had you know been out with a lot of injuries so far, you know, you could both say almost they're still the, the new guys on the team. So I, they'd have that camaraderie as well too. But um yeah, no, I'm excited about that connection for sure. Also, I think they're. I think they're probably two of our top six players at this point. Mm. And with with Smart Out, I think they're two of our top five players. I really, I'm not sure. I think that I like both Pritchard and Time Lord more than Tyson and and Thompson. I'm not saying that the crap on those guys. Those guys are are talented, but I feel like uh, Pritchard's a better player at this point. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's crazy. Let's let's edit that part out. But I just see that like Pritchard- no, no, no. We're leaving that in. <laughs> no, but, uh, I, at the very least, at very least, I think that Pritchard and Time Lord are, are uh, top six on this team right now. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I, I think Tice is right there, but I think that Time Lord, uh, sorry, Time Lord Tristan Thompson, it makes sense to sort of you know push him down the hierarchy a little bit. He's definitely upped his hustle, Tristan Thompson. That is. But I think overall, the impact from Time Lord and Tice uh, in terms of like the distinctive elements that they bring to the game, I think they're overall, overall like a better impact to the team. So I, I think I agree with you that I'd put Pritchard and, and Time Lord in the top six there. But these are good problems to have, right? Like if it's difficult to sort of figure out who fits in our top six, considering what we were talking about a week ago, like this is a, this is a good place to be. Uh, speaking of our top players, we should get to the Jays. Definitely. You know, they had some moments throughout this game. This is probably, though, one of their quieter overall games so far this season. However, like, say what you will about their performances tonight. They were absolutely the catalyst for the team's strong start. So the Celtics they started off 16-9. to It was tied 7-all, seven 7-apiece, seven and then a 9-2 run thanks to a pretty balanced attack from, you know, we talked about Tristan Thompson before. Uh, he had a, a good little session there i guess for lack of a better term early in the game sealing off a barker sealing off batum in the paint and uh but it was also a balanced attack of the jays sort of attacking around tristan thompson as well so quiet game overall for the jays but they they were particularly impactful early in this game and you know often that's all you need is a a strong run to start the game and you can work off that momentum and and finish it out strong so i don't know what what are your thoughts on the jays uh jackson in this game um, particularly with Jalen Brown, I mean, coming off an injury, um, he started just like a house on fire. I mean, I think both teams shot really well to begin with, but um, it felt back it, like it was back at the uh, you know the first few games of the season where just Jalen Brown just just couldn't miss. It seemed um, so he got back in that at least to start the game too. So I felt if we had a maybe a poor shooting first quarter and we we fell behind by like ten or so to the Clippers, that game would have been much much different. So I put a lot of um, I give a lot of thanks to Jalen Brown, I guess, for that one too. Um, Tatum. Yeah, I mean, he had um he had an exceptional game the other day against um the Wizards, but um wasn't that great uh going you know, for the most part, but I thought he still had some, you know, big moments in the fourth. Uh, and again, that's that's kind of when you need, you know, your guy to really, you know, step up and and um and and, and take over. So you know, quite quite games, you know overall as they may have had you know you can still see the talent you can still see the importance and the leadership that they that they sort of you know possess so um and and it's it's mega encouraging above all if they can have a quiet night you know lo and behold we actually do have a supporting cast that can that 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 can step up and can get us through that because i think if 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 tatum and brown were were terrible you know two weeks ago then you know we were losing a lot of games to be fair but we probably would have lost more so um (laughs) yeah quiet but still effective 
Tatum seems like he's in a bit of a funk still, despite, you know, he, he carried us down the stretch of the last game. It was great. But since coming back from COVID, he really has not been great. I mean, over, overall, unfortunately, he's been in a funk. Um, he seems like, I don't know, he seems like he's like a bit more gassed than normal. Like he looks like he needs like a break. So a lot of people have been saying, you know, maybe once the all-star break comes around, maybe he can get some, a little bit of rest in the midst of all that. But I, we kind of glossed over it a bit in the last episode. I've kind of shared some, some links on, on Reddit. One thing that is still kind of uh, in the back of my mind about the Tatum thing, because he did mention that he was still dealing with some breathing issues post-COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's articles out there. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a medical guy. I'm not a doctor. And I, my, my understanding of COVID is still limited. But there are articles out there that says that even people who are asymptomatic who get it, um, there's, they've done x-rays of their lungs and, and more often than not, like it was like 70% of cases, according to at least one article I read, that their lungs look like someone who's been smoking for years and that that can last for months. And I, I yep. hope that's not the case because that would impact him throughout all of the playoffs um, as well. I mean, it would be something that it would take him quite a while to get over, but I can't help but think of that when I see him like some games where he, he looks great and other nights it seems like he's just like really kind of exhausted more than normal and and I, I do wonder if there some and that was the thing that everyone was worried about is there gonna be long-term impact of of covid if some of these guys get it i really hope it didn't happen to to tatum and just keeping an eye on it but he has been you know his, his shooting percentages have been down for a, ever since he came back and it's yeah it's kind of a bummer I would probably argue if our record was a little bit healthier, he probably would have had a couple of nights off by now. Uh, I feel like Brad's probably playing him because we are in such a sh- we are in such a, a shitty situation record wise. At least we were a couple of you know games ago where he feels the need. No, this is serious. If we fall too far below five hundred, you know we're gonna be we're gonna be in a real a, a real situation. So I, I think he's probably a victim, for lack of a better word, of, of the fact that our record has been so poor, and that was, you know, in part due to injuries as well, too. So I think if we can get ourselves comfortably above 500, you know, maybe three or four games or whatnot, we might start seeing him, you know, rest every now and then. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he did play 40 minutes tonight, and I mean, it says a lot that we're having to rely so heavily on our COVID-addled, you know, <laughs> 22-year-old all-star, borderline superstar, like just his presence on the court alone defensively, and I'm going to get to a defensive stat uh, on Tatum in a second, but just his impact on, on being out there and his IQ and how he impacts the game outside of his scoring, um, you know, it means a lot. And I think that's why we're still leaning on him so heavily in terms of his, his minutes played in the game. Um, a precedent there for like COVID impacted players who took a while to come back, Kendrick Nunn who, for the Heat was one of them. He came back and it took him and he, he's, talked about this in the press, but it took him a long time relative to the season so far to sort of come back and, and feel like himself again. And now he's kind of balling out and he's sort of stated, yeah, like I, I've, I've overcome it. I feel better. And I think that's, you know, there are very few of these precedents in terms of players who have come back and like clearly, you know, they're a shell of their former selves as a result of their time out with COVID. Kendrick Nunn's a, an example of that turning itself around and a player sort of finding themselves again. So hopefully we'll see a similar thing there with, with Tatum. Um, one thing I noticed uh, in terms of defense on, on Tatum and something else that sort of Tatum struggles with outside of COVID is, so this is an example, eight minutes remaining in the second quarter today, the Clippers went to a 2-3 zone along with trapping Tatum, either when he brought the ball up from, you know, from a, getting a rebound or otherwise on the catch. And he really struggled there. Like He seems to panic a bit and make wayward passes on, on the first possession of that 
defensive scheme. He threw the ball, I think it was over Shemi Ojale's head, into the stands. Uh, or he makes tough contested shots, or rather attempts tough contested shots. So the second possession there was a contested, contested three in the corner. Uh, the Celtics, they did adjust somewhat by having Teague and Pritchard bring the ball up instead of Tatum, which led to one good possession where we actually found Tatum in the middle of that zone at the free throw line and he kicked it out to a Peyton Pritchard three. But in general, I feel like still a lot of work there for Tatum to do. They, they really bothered him during during that stretch of the game. And fortunately, Brad checked the rest of the, the starting lineup back in. So that only lasted a few possessions. And then Kemba, Tristan Thompson, Jalen Brown all checked back in and suddenly the Clippers couldn't trap Tatum anymore because there were so many other offensive threats on the court. But, you know, we talk about this Tatum and the bench lineup all the time. And last year we had, you know, some success with that. This year when, you know, teams throw those good defenses at him, not so much. And, you know, it also should be pointed out that this is the first full regular season that that Tatum is actually seeing that kind of defensive attention where teams actually scheming like specifically against him and he's probably the primary component of any team's scouting report going into a game. Like, sure, towards the end of last mm. season in the bubble, he saw a lot of that. But this is the first full season where teams are really going in prepared for Jason Tatum. So, yes, the COVID thing is a factor. I'm not, not refuting that at all. But teams are really focusing on him. And, you know, if you go back and look at that second quarter stretch today, you can really see a really good example of that. So, it's only 22. Still got a long way to go. And it's a good you know, a uh, bit of tape for him and the coaching staff to look at there from today. But uh, yeah, long way to go if we're going to have any success at the playoffs. They keep saying mm-hmm. that the teams had very minimal practice time too. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I would think that they could work on, but maybe they're just, they keep saying they're not like practicing at all right now. And I'm not really even sure why that is. Is it, is it, be- I mean, do you know why it is? Is it because of the testing protocol? I think they said something about like they have to test multiple times during the day and it makes practice not feasible or something i haven't really gotten a clear answer on why yeah. this is so much different in normal seasons mm. I, I don't know but i would imagine just the schedule as well and the need to like okay we finally have a break let's have a break like rather than let's practice let's just have some time to ourselves and to our family and you know actually mentally recharge rather than practicing at all i think that's a, a huge component to it but i, I really have no mm. idea jackson have you heard anything on this I, I haven't, but I can only imagine it is a it is a protocol sort of something that is that is required by by the NBA or or, or by whoever's like calling the shots here. I think if it was up to Brad Stevens, he would have them in practicing every single day until until this this funk that we've supposedly you know that we're starting to suppose like we have been in is sort of dispelled. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as like what the the do's and don'ts are as far as practicing is concerned, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure. I'd, I'd be wondering to see what like what other teams' practice schedules would be like compared to ours, if they were the same or if um, yeah. you know more or less. It was just some interview I, I think I read about Brad Stevenson made some quote and he had said something about like they have to test multiple times during a day and it takes up a, a significant amount of time. But I mean, regardless, uh, they've said many times they're not really practicing right now. And that's something where once we get to the playoffs, that could be, you know, the the catalyst for us to be significantly better because now suddenly we do have time to game plan and work on stuff. And, you know, this team that we're seeing right now could be severely underrated and look a lot better once we get to playoffs, assuming we make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. Uh, look, and just back on the Jays very quickly, it's it's not all bad with regards to today's game. So I, I did tease a, a defensive stat earlier. This is from ESPN Stats and Info on Twitter. Paul George went one for 11 with three points when guarded by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. 
uh, during the game. User Chickspeak followed up that post on Reddit saying, especially in the first five minutes of the fourth quarter, Tatum guarded him very well. That was textbook defense. So goes back to what we were saying about Tatum's impact, you know, other than scoring the ball. So um, we've talked about this game for a while. Now we've got some other things to move on to, guys. Before we do, any other sort of finishing points, miscellaneous notes, anything like that from the game or, or recent games in the last week? All I was going to say is it, it does feel like we are starting to turn a corner. Again, don't want to overreact too much. You know, a three-game win streak is a three-game win streak. But, you know, I, I feel like the low point was that Pelicans game. And ever since then, it feels like there's just a little bit more confidence and a little bit more belief. Uh, without going too much about that Washington game, like that Washington game, like we really had no business winning that, you know, in my opinion, down five with 47 seconds to go and Brad Beal just getting whatever he wanted. And we somehow found a way to win that. Granted, that was Tatum almost on his own. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm feeling a lot more positive. I feel like uh, things might be turning. Yeah, I'm feeling positive too. But the inconsistent rotations are still sort of sort of a bummer. Like, you know, Neesmith DMP tonight. That's obviously a guy that I've been watching improve all season, been really eager to mm-hmm. see him improve. And like, this was one of those games where they deemed it that we wanted to go for a really tight, short, shortened lineup. Maybe we're at that point already uh, where we're just going to kind of like, you know, tighten up a ship. But, but, you know, I still want to see him get minutes. So, you know, I, it's kind of a bummer to see the DMPs. But, and the other, you know, on the flip side, it's, it obviously helps us win games. <laughs> we give DMPs to some of the young guys. Yeah, totally. Now, look, just just quickly before we move on, best and worst moments of this game for you guys? Um, I'm happy to start. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Please start. do. All right. No, I'll, I'll start with, the, I think, the worst moment. It's several moments throughout the game, and that was just Reggie Jackson just destroying us all night. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if Kawhi Leonard space jammed his abilities to Reggie Jackson before the game, but... Um, I think a lot of people were probably watching Reggie Jackson thinking, oh, yeah, like classic random role player X destroys Celtics. You know how that's kind of always a thing throughout every season? Uh, yeah. Reggie Jackson, worst, worst overall moment of the game for me today. What about you guys? Best moments. Anything that Time Lord and Pritchard did was pretty great. Hell yeah. Knocking down shots, alley-oops all over the place, strong defensive yeah. plays. Yeah, I mean, that was all great to see. Nothing specific. There was a couple big-time alley-oops that were pretty impressive. but. Overall, yeah. just great to see for, them for, contributing. Yeah, for for me, even though it was not a great play, it was it was uh, Paul George's. I think one three point the the one three point shot he made in the quarter, like to, to cut the lead to two with about I don't know like fifteen seconds to go or something. You could see Brad and the coaching staff over by the by our bench, and then Paul George got free, and Brad just starts like flailing and like running towards him, and like <laughs> what, what, what the fuck are you guys doing? And then it goes down. And he just like just you, you just like whenever you yeah. get a burst of emotion from brad stevens it's super encouraging and it's refreshing so to see that you know even though the game the game kind of felt safe at that point even though that shot definitely uh will did bring it back to like a one possession game you still felt like we were going to get it done so to see that you know i always i always crack a smile and i always watch it back when brad gets animated yeah, Shemi Ojale really shut the bed there. So it was good to see, you know, the commensurate <laughs> reaction from, from Brad Stevens. I had that as my other worst moment of the game. Uh, Reddit user Belichick Yourself writes, put some respect on Tice's name, Game Thread Haters. I'm sick of your shit. Um, Tice was great all game. He's been great for the majority of the season and certainly in this recent stretch. But those clutch Tice free throws after seeing Time Lord, you know, clank a few. That was obviously a critical moment of the game because we don't win unless uh, Tice, um, or we don't put the game away unless Tice hits those. A few other quick moments very quickly. I mentioned the clutch rebounds from Time Lord. Peyton Pritchard opens the fourth quarter with a deep swish three, which is huge because at the end of the third quarter, Lou Williams 
had a similar sort of shot on their end of the court. That was really important for us to open the, the fourth in that sense. The Celts super locked in defensively late in the game. Second half of the fourth quarter, very talkative on D. They strung together multiple stops, even in stretches where we weren't able to get buckets on the other end. It was, it was the defense, really, that won this game. And we have not been able to say that about this team so far this season. And against the team, like the Clippers, pretty well put together. Obviously, Luke Morris, hope he's okay, went out at some point during the game with what looked like to be mm. you know, a concussion or a head injury. Kawhi wasn't in the game, but they're still a well put together team, well coached, good schemes, and we were able to shut them out for a really important portion of the game there. So um, I don't know, some really, really good takeaways and the fact that we won this without a good performance really from either Jay outside of the first quarter. Um, some good things to uh, to glean from this game. Um, we've got one more game before the All-Star break. The Raptors potentially missing three-fifths of their starting lineup, and the Celtics now have the lone uh, grasp on the on the fourth seed in the East as well. So potentially we go into the All-Star break on a four-game four game winning streak here, which is uh, incredible. Now, I'm sorry, to move us along very quickly because we are running over time, before we get to the Reddit recap, the contestants for the All-Star Weekend three-point competition were announced today. They are Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Holy shit. Um, La Bird, was this a surprise to you at all? No, I don't think it was a surprise. Uh, you know, Actually, my take on this has kind of changed after I looked into it a little bit more. So my, my initial take was obviously they're two of the best three-point shooters in the league, but then I I looked into it. That's not necessarily true, actually. I mean, Tatum's shooting 36% right now, which puts him kind of down the list. There's like, there's like 30 players in the league that average more three-pointers per game than Tatum and like 50 players in the league that average more three-pointers than Brown. So that take, I'm going to maybe back off of that one a little bit. But uh, Tatum is obviously a, a great three-point shooter and, and Brown's obviously a great three-point shooter. And the main thing is that I, I honestly think that part of it is it's like a, a marketing thing. You know, this is Brown's first uh, all-star game and it's good to sh- give him a little shine. So, you know, he's probably not going to get a ton of minutes in the actual game itself. So they, I think they usually try to find opportunities for new all-stars to kind of showcase their themselves in front of the big audience in any way possible. And if he's not going to be in a dunk contest, it makes sense for him to be in a three-point contest. I think the last time we had two Celtics in the three-point contest, I think was probably pierce and ray so that'll be fun to see those two go yeah. go head to head but yeah, for yeah sure. not a surprise it, ma- it makes sense uh it'll be fun cool narrative the two jays going against each other i have this bad feeling <laughs> that tatum's gonna suck and brown's gonna be really like brown might make it to the fight to the to the last round but um but then lose uh and tatum will be terrible uh, i don't know i just got i just got a feeling about that but i mean hey tatum won the skills contest when he was in it uh his first year so man if you could add the uh if you could add the three-point contest to his um to his resume, man, I'll be I'll, I'll be stoked because it's funny how the three point contest has become the more the more watchable like exhibition of of All Star Weekend these days. Because the dunk contest, I mean, uh, bar that one year where it was Levine and Gordon going, you know, back and forth at each other, it hasn't really been anything to write home about for years and years. Whereas the three point contest is always, you know, at least watchable and entertaining. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm stoked to have them both in it. I wouldn't uh, count out. Tatum. So if you remember in 2017, when he was a rookie, prior to the start of the season, they had a fan event and they had their own uh, three-point contest. And I think they they had lined the bracket so that the assumption was that Gordon Gordon Hayward was going to win, but Tatum ended up beating him. So even a rookie Tatum was able to beat Gordon Hayward in the three-point shootout. So, and then we always heard about how, you know, prolific he was in the actual workouts prior to 
being drafted where he was, I think he made like an obscene amount, like 90 out of 100 or something. So it's possible that he's going to be right in the running for winning, but you got to assume that Steph Curry is going to be the favorite. Yeah, I remember oh, watching sure. the live stream of that event, and the the one memory I have is just watching Gordon Hayward brick everything. And thinking, <laughs> Wait, hang on, this is it this is like pre <laughs> pre ankle injury. Yeah, exactly. We should have seen the signs. We should have sat him in the first game. Uh, anyway, everything's clear in hindsight. Uh, Reddit user Oz five seven six wrote, uh, "I know it's a different year and everything, but imagine four years ago finding out Jalen Brown was going to be in the three point contest. That's crazy development, which is a, a very um, very good point." Guys, we're going to take a very quick break and be back in a moment for the Reddit recap. Welcome back. This is the Celtics Reddit recap, and we're starting off with a post by user RLS012, who posted some interesting excerpts from the Wick Grousebeck recent radio spot by way of Bobby Manning on Twitter. They write, two other interesting points from Wick. One, the Celtics made a giant offer, quote-unquote, giant offer, to Gordon Hayward. And number two, insinuated the Pacers' trade prices were too high. It was not going to happen. Talked about prices for trades generally being for unprotected firsts. Um, Larbird, putting the Hayward slash Turner thing to rest, and like I, don't, I think you wanted to clarify some of Wick's yeah. recent comments as well. Yeah, I mean, this has been something that's gone on for quite a while, and it's it's not always on the, so that, you know, media will tweet out things. They'll, they'll tweet out paraphrasings or, you know, excerpts or their, their interpretation of an interview. And it happened a lot, honestly, when we had Kyrie, where Kyrie would say something and then someone like Keith Smith would say, Kyrie just said the young guys suck. I mean, it's not, I mean, it wasn't really exactly what he said, but then that's what he would make, it would make it seem like it was. And then other media would pick it up and just run with it. So when I saw that quote, it was a really confusing quote because it made it sound like we had offered up where at least the Pacers were asking for like multiple first round picks for Hayward. It made like very little sense. So then I went and actually like sought out the interview itself. And as I expected it, it, like I got a very different interpretation of the interview. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. just to to clarify what that interview actually was and people can listen to it, Toucher Toucher and Rich, I think he was, he was on there. So the actual question when they asked him about it, they weren't like, Hey, when you guys had trade discussions with the Pacers, were they asking for multiple firsts for Gordon Hayward? That's not at all how it was actually presented. What they actually had asked him was, uh, we heard about there are a lot of trade rumors in the offseason. We know you can't talk about specific players, but there were specific players mentioned as far as Indiana and everything. I just want to ask you real broadly, was there any financial considerations made uh, to any of your moves? And that, that was the actual question. And then Wick's response was really generic. He was like, well, let me think about this. Uh, how do I want to answer this? And he says, you know, any particular deal in terms of players or draft picks, you know, the, the asking price is generally extremely insane. You know, sometimes they want like four first round picks, but that was not what the Indiana thing was. That deal was not happening. Th- that's all he said to the extent of the Indiana thing. And yeah, I right. just want to say like real, like uh, generally, I'm kind of getting sick of seeing all the posts about how you passed up on Miles Turner or how Danny Ainge shit the bed and didn't take Turner. I've, I feel like that whole thing is kind of a fabricated narrative. If you would just like go back the actual rumors we were hearing was like early November and it was before the start of free agency. It was before Hayward opted out. So at that point, it's possible that the Celtics had called Indiana and said, Hey, you know, we're not sure what, we're not sure what Hayward's going to do. He might stay on his final year of his deal. He might opt out. Maybe we can do a sign and trade, but you know, spitballing ideas here. 
can we maybe work, work something out? And they might have said back, you know, hey, what if we would do like a Turner thing, Turner plus McDermott, assuming he will take 25 million per year. That's possible because if they had traded McDermott and Turner, he could only max get 25 million per year. But the thing people really need to understand is that free agency itself didn't start until November 20th. All that rumor, all those rumors we were saying were before free agency. And legally, Hayward couldn't actually have any part in those conversations. It was the same thing with the Bogdanovich thing to the Bucks, where we heard rumors that he was getting traded to the Bucks before free agency. Yeah. And then, you know, they, they said, that's ridiculous. Bogdanovich just knows nothing about this. Or maybe it was actually a tampering thing. But, but the truth is, like, Hayward wasn't legally allowed to have conversations with any team. So at that point, when we were seeing those rumors, I mean, I was in thread saying, well, let's see, let's, let's see what happens. I still think that he was, he's going to opt out. And I still think someone's going to give him $100 million. Some mystery team like Atlanta is probably going to give him $100 million. And then sure enough, November 20th comes, 6 p.m. is when teams can reach out to him. That, that is presumably when Michael Jordan himself reached out to him and said, hey, we're willing to give you $120 million. what do you think? By the next morning, he had agreed to go to Charlotte, which made the whole Indiana thing a non-issue. It, it was completely a non-story. I mean, the idea that Ainge somehow prevented is, is nonsense because we couldn't even do a sign and trade until the 22nd when they could actually sign free agents. And by then, Hayward was already publicly going to Charlotte. So kind of getting sick of seeing all the posts about it. I think that people should get over it. I don't think it was ever going to happen. If you actually listen to what Wick said in that interview, he says that deal was not happening. So there you go. Yeah. I don't know if it fits the Denny Ainge refuses to trade or refuses to make any moves narrative, though. So it probably will stick <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah. Despite so a very, very comprehensive how- debunking of it. <laughs> Further to that, did you see Joel Embiid's comment on Miles Turner, you know, a day or two ago? He basically said, like, all respect to Miles Turner, but look, I've dominated that guy, like, historically <laughs> in both of our careers. So, you know, taking into mind everything you just said, Larbert, even if we did somehow acquire Miles Turner, you know, the biggest thing that we want from a center is to defend our biggest threat at the center position in the Eastern Conference. And if Miles Turner has been, his, you know, historically uh, and extensively dominated by, by Joel Embiid, then do we really want to take up $20 million a year for three years or whatever his contract is? It's a, it's a pretty sizable amount of money when we can just stick to our cheaper three-man center rotation there. So, um, right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to hopefully put this thing to rest with, with the details that you've just brought to light there, Larbert, because it has been a frustrating sort of anti-age sentiment so far in the season. So um, we'll see. Moving on, this is posted by a Reddit user, Larbert33, <laughs> some, some guy, I don't know. Uh, goes on to say, for clarity, the artery condition, quote-unquote artery condition, is not why Robert Williams isn't playing big minutes. Do you want to... Actually, I will add to that. This is in response to a post by user Hale Kyrie, who their post was titled, Robert Williams will not play big minutes in the regular season at least because he has an artery condition that causes cramping and could eventually require surgery if it gets bad enough, which we do not want in the season. Um, obviously, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll throw to yeah. you, Labo. Do you want to elaborate on that? Oh, yeah, I, I kind of try to keep it uh, quick. Uh, I, don't, you know, I don't want to make it seem like Hale Kyrie made a, a big mistake. It, was, it definitely wasn't malicious, and it probably wasn't his fault. He, he interpreted an article by Tom uh, Westerholm, who's a fantastic writer, and he, he had great written... Guy. <laughs> great guy. It would be wonderful if we could get him on this podcast at some point. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah, not, yeah not hinting anything. But anyways, uh, Tom Westerholm had written an article, which was like, why isn't Robert Williams getting more minutes? And he had 
kind of just written in there that one of the reasons is um, he's he's got a hip issue, and that hip the hip issue that he's actually referring to is like the bone edema. It's like a type of fracture that he had. I think it cost him cost him to miss a bunch of time last season, and so there was a quote from Brad Stevens in there where he had actually said, "Actually, the hip's not bothering him. We're just trying to manage it over the course of a long season, so he's more available uh, more often than not, and then we'll be able to peak his minutes late." Um, so then he goes on to say, so I guess it's just more of just being alert to it. Obviously he had two games. He sat out because it was bothering him. We're just alert to it. But in the course of that whole article, he also kind of casually threw out that, uh, that Williams had this, uh, artery issue, but the way he worded it in that article, Tom Westerholm, it could have been interpreted that he was saying the reason why we're holding him out is because of the artery issue. So it wasn't Hill Kyrie's fault necessarily that he posted that, but I saw it and it went to the top of the, you know, the Reddit subreddit. And then I started seeing people referencing it in other comments. And then I saw people referencing it on Twitter. I mean, Reddit has a huge reach. So suddenly it was like, oh, Robert Williams isn't playing because he's got, you know, he's the next Reggie Lewis started becoming the narrative, which is terrible. We don't want that. So I actually reached out to Tom uh, directly on Twitter and he was nice enough to respond and said, no, 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 that wasn't my intention at all. And he'd actually candidly said that was probably something the editor should have caught. That way it was worded was very unclear, but it was very much Brad was just referring to the hip condition. And to go back and just explain it, the artery condition is something called PAES. Um, and as from what I've read of it, you know, people can Google it PAES, and uh, there's a whole article about it related to Robert Williams before he was even drafted. They talked about it. From what I understand, right. it's it's a condition that can cause um, mild cramping, and and it sounds like it can be managed. And it's not even clear if. Williams is even having cramping for people who are following this. It's just that this condition can lead to cramping and that uh, if necessary, a procedure can clear it up. But even that, I read the procedure is something that can be resolved in like a, a simple procedure and then you're like fine in a, in a couple of days. So I don't think there's any reason to concern about the artery condition unless we hear otherwise. So if anyone saw that on Twitter or wherever, just uh, and even Celtics Life, I think they had tweeted something out about it. If you had saw that, uh, just calm down. It's all right doesn't sound like he's got some kind of major artery condition. <laughs> I love this on the podcast where we've got these great vibes off these three straight wins and Larbird's just swooping in here and, and tidying up the few remaining concerns <laughs> of the team, right? This is great. This is a great good vibes podcast. Um, Jackson, I don't know. I'm not expecting you to add anything in terms of rare artery-based conditions or is, do you have any, any additional thoughts you want to add here? It's fine if you don't, but... Uh, you're here. I'd love to be able to pretend that arteries are my thing, but but, but they're not. No, <laughs> you're not a vampire. I always after all. I always assumed. Yeah, I always assumed it was the hip thing, and just maybe like a touch of the defensive liability that he he can be at times um, is why he wasn't playing. But um, no, I guess things like that, you know, they'll happen in journalism. You know, or like you know, things may be unclear or not written clearly enough, or they can just be misinterpreted. So you know, and it is funny as you said how like narratives can kind of take off. You know, based on something that maybe a misinterpretation so um yeah I, th- I think we'll i think it'll properly be dispelled you know if he's held a if his health holds up and b come the playoffs or come like you know deeper into the season when we do start seeing him play more minutes so um yeah that's all i've got to add but how, but how cool is it that we live in an era where now when we see these articles we can just reach out to the writer directly on twitter and he that is cool, send yeah. a response. he's like wait what's going on it's my day off and he's like, <laughs> he's like let me let me go ahead and correct that article and within like a you know 15 minutes he had corrected the article so that that was pretty cool i thought that was a kind of a anything yeah uh, and just say really my, awesome. my last thing on the Robert Williams thing is I, I I imagine the hip thing is a small part of it I, I feel like he, I still feel like the reason that he's not getting a lot of minutes is more obvious it's because we have two bigs ahead of him ahead of him in the lineup so we'll see if that changes second half of the season but right now you know he's got Tyson 
and Thompson ahead of him. Yeah, what a roller coaster of a season. It feels, I mean, obviously it's very different because of COVID and everything, but just unique talking points, TPEs, artery <laughs> conditions. It just it just feels different uh, and not necessarily COVID. in a good way. So I'm glad that we've got a few wins uh, in, the, in the bag there. Um, this is another Reddit post. This is our final one. This is by user LaBerth33. He writes, two paths and one of them is a soft rebuild. Very quick summary here, and then I'm going to throw to to this user to to clarify some things. So the summary is: this is a pivotal upcoming month for Danny Ainge and the Celtics. There's two pathways that are likely for the Celtics. Path one: solidify the rotation. Small moves to solidify the bottom end of our eight-man rotation. Path two: a soft rebuild. This would entail somewhat punting the season, becoming surprise sellers at the deadline, and refueling our draft effort assets for a bigger picture, um, or for the bigger picture, rather. Question, Larbird. I think most people are familiar with the idea of Path 1 at this stage. Potential TPE moves have been a massive talking point for months now. Path 2 is really interesting, though. Can you elaborate on this idea at all? Yeah, and I have to preface it by saying that it's not something I'm currently pulling for, and I said that in the in the post five days ago. Before Kemba started going on a run, I was like, you know, it's just something on my radar. At the time, we were two games under 500. And at the time, I mean, we were sitting in the 11th best, best draft odds and could have easily skidded to, you know, 7th best, seventh, uh, best draft odds. So I'm like, well, if we're thinking this season is not going to happen, maybe we at least have to consider it. So the, the soft rebuild, rebuild um, well, it, had to, it would have to start with Kemba. Um, and, you know, other people have brought this up. I still think he's a fringe star. I still think he has some trade value, but I think it would have to start with moving him. And, you know, what you would get in return, I think you'd have to look towards getting someone who has uh, only two years left on their deal this year and next year. You want to open it up the potential to have cap space in three years. So, uh, like, the idea I threw out was, you know, if you're going through through the soft rebuild, maybe you move Kemba to the Knicks. I think they can send some expiring contracts if they want to upgrade from Derrick Rose. Maybe they include uh, one of their first round picks that they have available. Maybe that's a possibility. I, in the comments, I said, you know, maybe Miami's a possibility as well. Miami is a team that uh, is apparently trying to get Kyle Lowry. Um, they were one of the teams rumored. So maybe they're looking for an upgrade for a point guard. So maybe you could go to them and get like some expiring contracts like a Linux and maybe some other uh, first round pick type um, thing from them in return. But it would have to start with Kemba. And, and, you know, it's funny bringing it up now because we're all very, very excited about Kemba. But, it, you know, I still think that. I still think what you said earlier, Ben, I don't know if he's still an ideal fit next to the Jays, certainly not long-term. I, I love what I'm seeing from him. I think he's going to fit into that third role as much as he could in, in the playoffs last season. He did it as well. But long-term, I don't know. So it would start with Kemba. The next part of the soft rebuild, I think you'd have to look to move Tice and Thompson. Thompson, I think, might be more tradable because he has two years left on his deal. Tice, unfortunately, is in the final year of his contract. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to get first round picks or second round picks for those guys, you probably, despite the fact I think we all agreed Tice is better, the fact that he's on the final year of his deal might make him less viable. But I think sure. you look to move them for whatever pick you can. Uh, and then there are some obvious things. Semi, Javante, and Teague are three guys who I think are you know, your opinions on them might be mixed, but long term, I don't know if I see Semi getting much better. I don't know if I see Javante getting much better. So I would shop them at the mm-hmm. trade deadline for any kind of picks we can get. And then the big one that I brought up, which is probably the most controversial one, was I think you'd have to consider moving smart, trading him at uh, at his peak value. Of course, he's injured right now, but he still has this year and next year left on his deal. 
He's only 26 years old. He's coming off a season where he was all defense. Clearly would have, of all of our assets that are tradable, the most trade value. He's on a, on a reasonable contract for this year and next year. So you could probably get a first or a couple firsts or a lottery pick or something for him. And the reasoning behind that, because you, you, when you first see that, you're like, why the hell would you trade? Smart. He's young. He's, he fits with our timeline. Is because I think, you know, if he's on the contract this year and on the contract next year, that's all good. But then after that, he's going to be commanding a big, big money. So the whole idea of this was maximize your flexibility. You know, maybe you punt on this season, try to get a top pick, get as many picks as you can, basically restockpile those trade assets so that if in the offseason, Carl Towns or something becomes available, well, suddenly we have a bunch of new picks that we can offer. But you also want to align to have potentially cap space in 2022, because looking at the players we have under contract, guys like Brown, Tatum, Pritchard, Time Lord, Neesmith, Romeo, Grant, that's basically it. Those guys, you could still potentially have a max slot to add another guy. So Bradley Beal happens to be a free agent that year. So if it gets to the point where he actually hits free agency, maybe you just sign Bradley Beal, keep all the stuff that you got in addition to, you know, for trading all those guys. So that's a path. It's something that we could consider. It's not something I'm pulling for. I would say that I would more right now think that I'd like to see a hybrid of that, where maybe we do consider one or both of Tyser Thompson. I mean, I, I I would like to see Robert Williams get more minutes. Maybe we consider you know moving Kemba um, while his trade value is back up. But overall, I still think you know we want to try to be as good as possible in the short term. Sorry, talked a lot, but that was kind of a summation of everything. <laughs> No, no, I mean, it's, it's worth expounding on because it is a, a very well thought out post and like I'd, I'd love to shout out some of the comments in the post, but all of the comments are actually really long and, and well thought out as well and um, you've responded to most of them as well. Jackson, you know, path one, path two, do you have a preference? I, I think I think you. I mean, me personally, it's always hope for the best with what you've got, and just maximize the the um, the production of, of of that. So you know, I would definitely lean towards one rather than two. But I mean, you know, if 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 if, if the deal is out there and it is going to put us in the best position we we can, uh, you know, be it now or be it you know later down the line, um, then I, I do you know, despite what a lot of people you know, might not. I, I trust any age and I trust this, this front office. So I think whatever the, the right move is, they will make it. Um, I can't see, you know, anything too seismic happening um, in terms of like a roster movement uh, or roster shakeup, I should say. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if, yeah, if we moved on some of those players that were mentioned, you know, to, to maximize the flexibility and put us in a better position. But if you want me to, you know, nominate one, no, I, my, my preference is keep the squad that we have um, and just everyone, you know, just gets better, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. just kind of add a couple more things to there because the comments Please. five days ago were very much, yes, let's go option two. <laughs> As yeah. you can imagine, I mean, people were a little bit uh, more down at before the three game win streak. So most of the people were like, yeah, let's go option two. And the other thing I'll say about that is that, um, you know, just because if you did go down that path, which is extreme, I don't think we'd actually do it. But if we did go down that path, um, there's a, it's a possibility that you end up actually playing really well anyways. I mean, it reminds me of when we got rid of Rondo and we got rid of Jeff, uh, Jeff Green, and the assumption was that we were going to be terrible. But we actually ended up like, you know, eventually getting an opportunity to bring in Isaiah, and then we suddenly made the playoffs. So, I mean, if you had a, a lineup of Pritchard, Brown, Tatum, Time Lord, and then whoever steps up, Romeo or Neesmith or someone we get by a, by a trade, some young guy, you know, maybe suddenly, shockingly, that's a, a good team. We don't actually end up much worse than we are right now, sitting in the fourth slot. 
So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much leaning towards number one myself as well. I want to see us maybe go after someone like Harrison Barnes and, and strengthen our team and make a big play uh, for a playoff push. But I still am kind of thinking about number two. It's just in the back of my mind if we do some kind of hybrid where we kind of do end up moving some of those vets with the long pick, the big picture in mind. It is interesting though. It seems like the general consensus, not just in this thread, um, but in other similar threads, is and it's really interesting how much gravity our 22-year-old and 24-year-old All-Stars have. It's like, whatever keeps the Jays happy, right? Like, if we were to sort of dial it back a little mm-hmm. bit and go for a soft rebuild, it seems like there's some concern. I do buy into this a little bit, that that's not, like, appeasing <laughs> the Jays sure. and, and showing them that we're, like, we're going for it and therefore um, they'd either leave at the end of their, what is their second contracts or, or, you know, as a lot of players tend to do that have that kind of gravity, force their way out of the, te- out of the team prematurely. So, yep. I don't know. I feel like if you're the front office, particularly like there have been some dicey moments for, for Ainge and Co. Um, so far this season, uh, that has to be taken into consideration when, when choosing, you know, pathway one or pathway two, as we put it here. Is there any, anything to that, guys? I would say yes, uh, but I, I would add a caveat to that, which is that if you're if you're gonna do it, you have to do it earlier <laughs> than later. Because yeah. so right Get now going. we have we have Tatum with after a season he's under contract for four more seasons, and mm-hmm. Brown is under contract for three more seasons. So yeah, that was I, some people commented that, and they're like, "Why would you? You're going to piss off the Jays and they'll want out." But the thing is. Uh, I, I'm not so much concerned about pissing them off in the short term. I'm I'm concerned about them being pissed off in 2022. So if we fail over this next year and you know end up playing playing this out of my head, so imagining us uh, imagining us staying at the four seed, not making the Eastern Conference Finals, then you know next year, uh, sorry, this upcoming off season, imagining Tice, who's in the final year of his deal, maybe we don't keep him, maybe he finds bigger money from some other team, so you you lose him for nothing. Then imagine Kemba's trade value taking a nose dive again for whatever reason because he's a 30-year-old guard and injuries happen. Then suddenly you can't get any kind of return for him. Uh, and imagining that we didn't end up trading Marcus Smart. And imagine, you know, at a year from now, Smart says, hey, you know, I, I love the Celtics, but some other team's willing to overpay me near max contract to be their starting point guard. I'm out of here. And that's all stuff that could happen. And then you're left with a team, a team in 2022 where you've lost Kemba, you've lost Tice, you lost Smart, and then you start getting you start getting worried. Like then, who do you trade? Like how do you even get another player that can help these guys? So, and mm. the, you know, again, I'm not pushing for the the soft rebuild, but if you were going to do it, it seems like now would be the time. Stockpile all those picks, then in the off season, go hard at trying to you know acquire someone major who aligns with them and mm-hmm. and that can fit long term so that in 2022 when they have brown under contract for two more years and tatum under contract for three more years then they can really go hard after some kind of playoff push, uh you know championship push but right now still i'm still on board with just kind of adding to this current rotation and and tweaking it slightly yeah well Look, guys, I'm exhausted, and somehow we made it to an hour again. Um, I have a tendency but... to do that. I exhaust people. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's. I mean, it's. This is great stuff. I, honestly, like, and I'm glad that we we sort of got some of your posts into the Reddit recap this week, Larbird, because it's interesting stuff. And you know, the reason I'm exhausted is because like it has been kind of an emotional roller coaster. Again, seems like for I guess the fifth consecutive year or whatever, following the Celtics. Um, 
been a crazy week. Like a, a, a week ago, I feel like we would have considered trading almost anybody. There was a lot of fire Brad Stevens talk, right. a lot of hot seat assigning. Everyone's mm-hmm. on the hot seat, Ainge, Brad Stevens, Kemba. And now it's like suddenly there's this timeline for Romeo Langford coming back and for Marcus Smart coming back. Not a specific timeline, but on the other side of the All-Star break, which is one game away. You know, we've won three games in a row. We're about to play a decimated Raptors squad. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's looking up, but I'm exhausted by it. So, yep. um, I don't know. It's been an hour, guys. Before we wrap this one up, is there anything else you want to add? Even if you just want to do, like, an, an emotional dump like I just did. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, I, to anyone listening who's looking for advice, you know, you know, we're probably going to go through another losing streak at some stage. Maybe a couple, you know, and we're probably going to go through a couple of win streaks as well, too. So, you know, basketball and the NBA in the general is an emotional roller coaster, game to game, week to week, month to month. Etc. Etc. So you know, keep the faith. We're, we've got we've got something here that is not abysmal and certainly is proven to have playoff pedigree. So I would be hesitant to for with any hot takes whatsoever. Uh, enjoy the ride because you know we're going to be all right. I think in the long term, <laughs> I think we're going to be all right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I would say s- similar thing. Uh, you know, maybe a couple weeks ago when when things were really looking dark, I had said in a couple comments to some people that were really you know bummed out. Maybe just take a break because we are still in the midst of the showcase season and maybe take a break until late March and see where we are. So, you know, if you're coming back to the fold right now, things are looking up and it's going to be interesting. This is kind of, I stand by it. It's a pivotal time for Ainge's career because there's so many directions he could take this team and there's so many different things he could potentially do. So uh, this next month in particular could change the whole course of the Celtics franchise. So you can stay tuned and let's see what happens. Yeah, if you weren't already stressed enough, the next month could change the entire course of the Celtics franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right, and it will continue to be stressful. So that's that's what that's the those are the fans that we're here for, right? We're here for the people who really feel the emotional weight of following this team. So hopefully, this podcast is sort of giving back to to people uh, in that sense because it's, it's certainly therapeutic for me. Guys, that's going to do it for this one. Thank you for tuning in. If you're still listening after 60-odd minutes, we'll be back in a week, possibly with a special guest. It's not quite confirmed yet. We'll see. Jackson, Larbird33. Love your work, guys. Thanks again. Likewise, Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Until next time, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.